0: autism where affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions welcome back listeners it's been a long hiatus here with covid i'm back to record the first podcast at affectautism.com this week i have with me a delightful new colleague of mine colette ryan she is a dir expert training leader She's the Parent Support Specialist at ICDL Livingston, which is ICDL's new therapy center, the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning, the home of DIR Floortime, which is what we talk about here at Affect Autism. She is a New York State-endorsed mental health um, infant mental health therapist and an infant mental health fellow at Mount Clair University in New Jersey. And um, we decided to have this podcast that is something that's relevant to what we've been going through as parents during this lockdown period. And uh, first, I just wanted to say, welcome, Colette. Thank you for joining Affect Autism's podcast today. Hi, everybody. Thank you for having me. So we're going to have some listeners that are on audio only. We're gonna have others that watch this on YouTube or on the website itself so I will try to uh, give descriptions when we're showing, if we're showing some pictures here, but just to give you guys some context, during this lockdown uh, I've been doing the online parent support drop-in for ICDL and it's every Monday at one o'clock eastern time for anyone that wants to sign up you can go to affectautism.com events and it's really picked up during this lockdown as Colette knows and uh, Colette's been doing mini seminars every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern time. And I've attended all of those as well. And it's been such a great support for parents who are at home trying yeah. to navigate this full-time care for our kids who are often in either school or some kind of care setting. And now they're home with us 24-7. <laughs> so, what do I do? What do I do? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it, everybody has benefits and challenges that have come with that. I've certainly seen a big developmental leap in my own son's growth over this time, just from being at home and relaxing. And um, it, one thing that we've noticed in the parent online group and in these mini seminars is parents have been struggling sometimes with how to get their kids to do what we want them to do, (laughs) which of course, a lot of parents struggle with that in general. Yes. And of course, there's always a challenge when we have autistic children who may have sensory challenges, they may have um, developmental, they may be at a different developmental stage than we are um, interacting with them. Mm -hmm. So it may be, hard for us to understand and meet the child where they're at and really be able to attune with them and all the wonderful things we talk about in the developmental individual differences relationship based model here. And uh, one of the big themes that popped out was meaning making and Colette did a wonderful uh, mini seminar on it. And we had a very interesting example, which I think is just one sample of the many examples that parents have shared. Right. where a parent had an assignment from a teacher to do with their autistic child. And it said, uh, ask the child to go get a tissue. And the parent struggled with why my child couldn't go get a tissue. And it was a very, this is a very obvious example. The child didn't know what a tissue was. Right. But that really opened up um, a different line of thinking for me. Mm-hmm. And That's what I love about this DIR model is that I'm always learning more and more from it, from different angles, looking through different lens, um, about how we really make so many assumptions about our children when we speak with them, and we just assume that they know what we're talking about. Right. And and on the podcast, I've given this example a few times around timing and sequencing, which is another topic, but just assuming that our kids know what it means when we say in a month from now in three months from now in a week from now in a year from now and sometimes i notice my son will say to me oh um, i'll say Dada will be back in three hours and then he'll come and he'll say how long is three months and i know what he's meaning is he's trying to figure out when dad is coming back but he said months instead of hours right. and it's just clear he doesn't really have that concept of time yet so um I I would love for you to tell us a little bit about meaning making and where we can learn from this within the DIR model. Thank you so much for
1: for that. I, I think that we have to understand that we know what words mean because we've had experiences with them. So we know that red, is that pretty color and it's on an apple and and maybe it's on my clothes or my shirt because we've had experiences with red many times our kiddos haven't had that many experiences maybe with red or experiences with a lot of other things in their world that we think oh just go get the tissue and we forget there's no meaning making there They haven't made meaning. They don't have enough experiences with a tissue to know to go get that thing that comes right out of the box and you use it to wipe your nose. We have the meaning and they don't. So I think it's interesting to think about, um, just thinking about (laughs) this apple. Think about an apple. We have an experience with an apple. It's red, it's juicy, it crunches. Over our, our, our time eating that apple, we have noticed so many wonderful things about what is an apple. Our experience with an apple is different if all we've done is looked at a picture of an apple. Our experience with an apple then would just be, it's the red thing that's that shape. Whereas if you've had an experience crunching it, maybe painting with it, feeling it, looking at the different colors of apples, now you've had an experience and now I know what that apple really means. So that I can ask for an apple if I'm hungry because that tastes so good. That's using the word functionally, we now have a functional understanding of what apple Means. And it's the same thing with numbers. If you think about that number that goes in this shape, oh, that's a two and it means this many. Wow. And then the thing that's crossed, that means I add them. Another symbol. Okay, I have experiences with that. I know what that one is. And then at equal sign, Okay, I've got an experience before with equals, so now I know how to do this. But what if I really throw something
0: different in there? So just, just for the listeners, it was just showing two plus two equals four. <laughs> and now we're looking at something that I have no clue what it is.
1: No. A what picture. in the world is this thing? It's green on the outside, kind of red, and then orange, and then the middle is white, and it... It looks like it's about eight to ten inches wide and I have no experience
0: with this thing. It sort I of looks me- like a, a meteor from the solar system. Yeah. Or something. Exploding. Or <laughs> exploding. It's, it, there's no meaning-making
1: for me because I have no experience with this thing. However, if you tell me that it's a pandanus, and it's a sweet pineapple-ish banana-tasting fruit. Oh, I have experiences with a pineapple and with a a banana. So now I have something to pull from to make meaning of what that thing really was.
0: Does that make sense, Daria? Yeah, and it, it makes me think of something that I saw Um, a woman I know post about her young child, who is neurotypical, that the child is calling all animals cat, or no, sorry, the the child sees all animals and says meow. So whether it's a dog or other things. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: this is just a typical part of development. Um, They've somehow made meaning around a cat. And the cat says meow. And then they see a dog. But they don't necessarily know that the dog and the cat are different because they haven't had the meaning yet with dog or other animals. Love that
1: analogy. Love that. They haven't had that experience yet, but they saw something with four legs, a tail, ears, and fur. So that's got to be that other thing that I know that somebody said it was meow. Love that analogy. Thinking about how our kiddos are making meaning of the things around them. So I can very easily get out a picture of a bus and look at that and make meaning. It must be something that's yellow and has wheels and there's windows in it. But unless you've actually gotten in a bus or seen a bus, you don't realize that it's long and people actually go into the bus and it takes you places because you haven't had that experience of what A bus is. So I think understanding how our kiddos make meaning helps us to understand maybe what they're not getting. Why is he not following that direction? Because maybe she doesn't understand or hasn't made meaning of what you're asking. Go get your boots and then put them in your closet. Now we have to think of the meaning of go Get boots and closet. That's a lot of meaning making. And when we think about our cognitive load, our brain energy, how much um, brain budget do we have, so to speak? If I'm using all of my cognitive load to figure out what those words mean, I don't have enough left over to actually do the act because I can't make sense of it. So if we can think about the meaning making piece first, has the child had an experience with that thing? Now we can think about how am I going to sequence those steps? So maybe we think about just giving one direction first. Go get your boots. And oh, boots. I know where boots, I know boots are the thing that I put on my feet. So I've made meaning of that thing. And then, oh, you've got your boots, put them in the closet. So now We've reduced that cognitive load and he's only had to think about the closet now. And now I've made meaning of that whole experience. Make sense?
0: Yeah, and I think of a couple of examples from past podcasts I've done. One was with Dr. Irik Levinsky, who's a psychologist Mm -hmm. in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And he said that one little boy came in one day and he, he said, my dad's always saying, calm down, calm down what does calm mean? Yes. And, and I thought, well, that's interesting that the child was able to verbalize and say that because Mm -hmm. a lot of kids might not even know what calm means and they would never tell us that, but we continue to say, calm down, calm down. Mm -hmm. And unless they know that feeling of calm and, and, um, occupational therapist, Maude LaRue has said to me, you know, like my son's natural state is upregulated so he might not even know what calm is because his natural state is hyper and up and moving so to understand calm is is totally something (laughs) Mm -hmm. and when he is in that calm state do
1: you ever identify it for him oh look you're calm right so he hasn't gotten that meaning of calm because it hasn't been pointed out to him I think of something that I see quite frequently in schools that makes me a little little sad um, is we're telling kids to have quiet hands. Mm. What does quiet hands really mean? We have a meaning ourselves of what quiet hands would mean. If I can think about the word quiet, it means no sound, nothing around. So we can infer, oh, quiet hands much means must mean no sound from my hand but we're adults and we can reflect and use logical thinking for some of our kiddos we're saying quiet hands and they have no meaning for it and then they end up getting reprimanded or in trouble for not having quiet hands when they have no meaning for what that means
0: and it still blows my mind that that people still try to say stuff like that when it's our children regulating. My son's constantly flapping and when he gets excited, always doing that. And if anyone ever, ever said to him quiet hands, I think I'd lose it on them. (laughs) But um, yeah, unfortunately uh, there's a lot of places where that's not the case still. Right. Um, And I think something that you just said is really important
1: to understanding meaning making and that's about reading cues. We need to be really good cue readers and cue senders Um, as as the adult in the interaction. We need to be able to pick up on the cue. So Daria, if your son is flapping his hands, that could be a cue to you. Oh, is this, are you really excited about this? So now you're putting meaning to the situation for another kiddo that could mean oh you're stressed this is too much for you all right let's let's move over to a different seat and so we've made meaning of the situation with and for the child which adds now to their ability to regulate oh if i get excited i can just do this and mom knows mom has the meaning too so it's really important that we become good Q readers and Q senders. So I want to just bring us to that slide so we can see about Q reading and Q sending.
0: So Colette is going to be showing a slide now, which if we're on audio, we won't be able to see, but um, it's just giving giving indications of, well, I'll let you describe it
1: Yes, so we, we all want to be really good cue readers and cue senders. And that helps meaning making so beautifully when we can be a good cue reader and a good cue sender. So I'm going to send a cue right now to Daria and we'll see if she's a good cue reader. Hi, hi, there we go. I was a good strong cue reader then. I sent a really strong hi. Daria read my cue, and was able to respond to me. We made meaning of that interaction really strongly. It was pleasurable. We had a shared experience. What happens if Daria is a really good cue reader, but I'm a really poor cue sender? So I might say, mmm, mmm. And Daria what is he call it? <laughs> Daria's going to really try hard. And if you were watching, able to watch her, you saw that she actually came closer to me. She's trying really hard to figure out what my cue is. She's a really good cue reader in that instance, but I was a poor cue sender. So Daria had to work extra hard in order to figure out, oh, you're trying to say hi. And then she could respond back. So what she did was make meaning for me of my, hmm, oh, you're saying hi, hi. So now I have a meaning for that attempt. If I was a strong cue sender, but Daria was a weak cue reader, I could say hi, and Daria might be looking all around because she wasn't in that moment a really good cue reader. So what I might have to do is what she did, come closer hi and use more affect hi and maybe that would help her become a a much stronger cue reader in that instance the really difficult interactions that we have that um, don't make a lot of meaning is with us a weak cue reader and a weak cue sender and those usually need an adult facilitator to come in and help make meaning but it's through reading these cues that we can help kiddos make meaning of the situations that they're in, if I use this and, and, and apologize beforehand, I have a really big affect. So if you're watching, sorry, but if I'm <laughs> with a kiddo and I'm making, I'm like this. Wow, that's so good. They're making meaning of that interaction as something pleasurable, something happy. We're having a good time together. If if I'm crying, or if I'm really sad that situation for that individual is going to have a meaning that might be more negative so even just using our affect to help make meaning is important for our kiddos
0: yeah and i i'd like to i have another example but i'd also like to make a distinction because we started off talking about kids following instructions and then we talked about you know having them go get their boots and go put them in the closet and things like that. Um, those that have listened to this podcast know that that's not floor time. And a lot of the grander topic of, of uh, my podcasts are how to do floor time mm-hmm. with your child. Um, when we, when we do floor time, we, we want to do all of the things that I have many other blog, blog content and podcasts about where we want to Meet the child where they are developmentally, have that safe relationship with them, respect their sensory profiles and individual differences, try and and see if co-regulate with them so we know that they're in a state to share attention with us and then get that engagement and then get the back and forth. And we want to encourage them to initiate with us out of their own volition. We're not trying to force anything. And this is different. Meaning making is all encompassing of all of
1: those things. All of that. So Love when you, you brought up the safety piece. Yeah. Meaning is so important in in the safety piece. Love it.
0: Yeah. So when when you talk about being good cue readers, that really is a part of floor time, being attuned to our child and, and understanding all of that in order to create that environment that makes it easier for them to interact and and mm-hmm. do that back and forth interaction with us and and get to those higher stages where they can socially problem solve and and share their emotional ideas and on and on. Um, But I think we're coming from the spot where we were hearing things from parents and I think that's where parents were looking for something more like, um, my child isn't compliant, my child isn't following instructions, my child isn't. And just really turning that on its head to say, well, what is the point of our children being compliant? Do we want our children just to be little robot soldiers Or do we want them to be uh, fully developed, developmental, logical thinking, abstract thinking uh, human beings who can make decisions and judge situations and know what to do? And in order to get to that spot, you've got to work on these early social, emotional, developmental capacities where where they can uh, be good cue readers themselves. And if we aren't doing that for them, how can they learn then to do that with us? Right. Um and and I know I have to stop myself a lot of times throughout the day from just bossing my child around. Like, come, it's lunchtime, put your plate away, do this, do that, and get more get to more of a floor time thing, like, hmm, we're all done lunch now. Yeah. And sort of look at the plate <laughs> and mm-hmm. see if my child will will then bring it to the kitchen or you know, things like that. But um the meaning making piece is is so much a part of that, but uh, this explanation is to just why we sometimes miss miss a lot of cues from our children and assume things that aren't even relevant. Um, because we're ignoring the whole meaning making thing.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I love that you brought up the difference between making meaning and then just that rote learning. Because rote learning is like flashcards and labeling things. And yes, I can label a picture of a farm, but do I realize the properties of a farm? Do I realize that there's animals and there's a silo and there might be corn and it smells funny and I can uh, touch the barn and all of that. Uh, Have I made meaning of what that is in order to be able to then drive down a road and say, oh, there's a farm because I've made an experience other than just what it is on a picture card. I, I love the, the example of the apple because it's just, it's so powerful for people to hear an apple, smell an apple, touch an apple. I, I live in upstate New York. We have apples everywhere. There's apple trees. So I have experiences with an apple, but I definitely did not have an experience with the pandanus. And I, now I have a meaning for it because I know it's between a pineapple and and a banana. Um, If I ate that with a negative affect, mm, the person I was with would say, ooh, whatever she's eating, that must be really yucky because her affect looks yucky. But if I went, mm, wow, delicious. Now the child is saying, ooh, it must be a really good experience because she's really smiling. So we get a lot of our meaning making from just our use of affect, also.
0: Right, and affect, of course, being the cornerstone of the DIR model, which is why the site is called Affect mm-hmm. Autism. It's all about the affect, and um, that's what our children are going to attune to in us, to engage with us, is our mm-hmm. affect and our nonverbal communication and mm-hmm. um, that emotional piece that we bring. Mm-hmm. And um, I just. I think it's the time in lockdown has been an eye opener for a lot of people because I think um, especially maybe children who have more profound challenges with sensory issues and um, maybe with a lack of structure, it, it could go either way. I've heard stories where Children have been so relaxed now because they don't have all these demands that school has placed on them so they they don't have to rush out and be around all these people and have those bright lights or loud noises or whatever it is that might be overwhelming their sensory system they're at home so they're more relaxed and I've heard the opposite from other people where um, you know they're desperately trying to participate in this online learning and the online learning might not be what's best for our children who aren't yet at the higher capacities Mm -hmm. and able to learn in a regulated environment on a computer sitting there um, in a two-dimensional space. And I think that's what a lot of the parents have been frustrated with is they want their kids to be learning during Mm -hmm. the time off, but the children have no interest in looking at the computer or sitting there and I didn't even try with our son. I thought like he he had you know a few social visits a week where he'd see his friends and he was curious to see what they were doing, but the attention span was so low and to try and get any kind of learning without doing that meaning making and affect um, would really fall flat. And the times that I saw him spend the most time on one of the um, school Zoom meetings was when the wonderful floor time therapist would do hangman and so it's an activity they all did together and they'd have the child pick out a topic that they like and then they would you know have the blanks and guess what the word is and those children are at the stage where they're recognizing letters now and my son was so excited to do this because we've been doing this at home now as well playing hangman with words from you know the video game that he just learned how to play in the time off and, Mm -hmm. and things like that so when it's engaging, fine. But we've heard some stories in the, from parents of, you know, yeah. trying to get them through a math lesson or something yeah. that sounds horrendously boring, yeah. um, <laughs> even for us, let alone for the child. And mm-hmm. especially right. if you're not bringing it into what they're interested in and they have no meaning, what is the point?
1: And when we think about pre-COVID, what was their meaning making of a screen? Previous, their screen time maybe was to watch a movie or to talk to grandma. Their meaning making of screen time was pleasurable and fun. Now we've changed that meaning. Wait a minute, I have to do something now? This is, this is not what I was signed up for. This is supposed to be a TV or, you know, talking to grandma. Uh, so thinking about how that meaning making has changed even through the lockdown and and everyone being home. The meaning making of the computer is now totally different. Now it's sometimes a stressful thing for our kiddos to, to have to relate to because there's not enough affect there for them. There's not enough of something to grab onto. We have those wonderful mirror neurons in our brain that help us to get an understanding of a situation by looking at the other person. Well, if mom or dad or caregiver are so stressed about having to be on the computer and learning, well, there's some meaning making that's going on there too. This shared experience is not pleasurable, it's not fun. And so that's what the kiddo is going to pick up on also. Um, not, to, not to say that we shouldn't have online learning, but we might have to tweak it a little bit for our kiddos, particularly as Daria mentioned, the kiddos at the lower capacities they have to have meaning making around what's going on on the screen. So just because you're showing a picture of 2 plus 2 equals 4 without meaning making of what a 2 is, what a plus is, what even a 4 is, that's going to be very difficult.
0: Yeah, um, and, and I know we've had some family calls online and you know, it, it's very stressful for my son because everybody's sort of looking at him and wants him to say something, wants him to do something. And he'll sort of come look and then he'll be like, ah, and run away.
1: <laughs> and
0: the one thing that enticed him was someone put that space background, you know, it's one of the default virtual oh. backgrounds in Zoom. And, and he was saying, um, my in-laws have a dog. He was saying, you know, so-and-so is in space. And he thought that was cool to look at. But even that got boring by the next Zoom call. You know, I think maybe a couple of times it was interesting. And then the next time, nope, I don't want anything to do with this. I feel like I'm being put under pressure. And I think that's just that theme in general of, of having these expectations that, <laughs> yep, yeah, Collette just showed a background of her puppy dog. Um, having those expectations, um, I mean, you know, it, it, also, it it frustrates me when parents expect that our kids are different than any of us. <laughs> like, if anybody puts expectations on me that are too much for me, mm-hmm. I don't like it either. No. So why don't we extend the same respect back to our kids? But the problem is, um, we have certain expectations in our mind of maybe what an eleven-year-old should be doing, could be doing, mm-hmm. and instead of looking at our child, where they are developmentally, what their individual profile is. Maybe this wasn't hard for you growing up, but, but it is challenging for your child. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and vice versa. Our kids are, have amazing ideas and everything and just finding the way to get into that world and share those experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, I know I did a a podcast with Jahan once Mm -hmm. about, um, it was about, scripting and speech and language, but she gave a wonderful example of meaning-making of a child who, now I don't, rem, let me see if I get this correct. It it might be off, so if anyone goes back and listens to this podcast, because I'll link to it in the blog post, the story may be a little bit different, <laughs> but <laughs> it was something like the child, uh, she was going to reach up high on the bookshelf or something, and someone said, careful, careful. And the child said, it's raining, it's raining. And so what Jahan realized uh, from talking with the caregiver was that one time on a school field trip, they were all off the bus, they were out, and it started pouring rain. And the teachers went, it's raining, get back on the bus, get back on the bus. So the child Because that's such a high affect experience, right? That's what our brains remember. And and this is true for anybody. We remember highly charged emotional memories. That's what we're going to remember from our childhood. And this child remembered this rain, it's raining. So for her, that was be careful, be careful. So Mm -hmm. when anyone said be careful to her, it's raining. That's what she said. And so Jahan's point was. Um, parents sometimes say, "Oh, they say things that don't mean anything." No, it always means something. You just got to figure out what it is. <laughs> and our son the, does the same thing. Yeah, we have to be good cue readers.
1: The cue mm-hmm. might not be what we expected, but it's there. And and um, I can almost guarantee you that there's meaning in everything that kiddos say. It's just may may not be uh, understandable to us just yet, but. Um, keep working at it, give it time.
0: Now, what about for parents or caregivers or therapists, providers, <laughs> that healthcare providers um, that are listening that maybe have older children that we're talking about, even adolescents or young adults, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. where a lot of the examples we gave might be really focused on young children, right. like, right? oh, this apple's so tasty, and you know i hear some of the parents say well i can't talk to my child like that or they're going to think i'm talking like a, to a baby and mm-hmm. my child's 13 15 18 20 whatever it is um but there's still and of course depending on which developmental capacity the child is is in where they are developmentally um it's going to vary but what what kinds of things can you um, suggest to parents around meaning making with, with the older
1: population? For, old, for the older population, I think it really comes down to having shared experiences where you both have the same meaning making from that experience. So if you're have if you're at a concert and it's a Dave Matthews concert and you love Dave Matthews and it's so good, and you brought your child with you and Mm, They don't really like Dave Matthews. That's not a shared experience where we can make meaning together But maybe if you go to a Garth Brooks concert Well now we've got a shared meaning because we both really like Garth Brooks So the meaning that was made from that interaction was positive. It was happy. It was exciting Whereas the Dave Matthews one might have been stressful that meaning making was a little bit harder Thinking about activities that older kiddos might like to do. Um, Art activities, making, creating things. When we think about art for ourselves, we can come up with an idea. We can think, oh, I'm going to draw a picture of an apple or a frog or whatever it's going to be. And we have made meaning of those things. So when you're working with a child, who you're doing an art project with or if you're doing one with your child and if you're going to say oh let's make let's draw a picture of a boat the child has to have an understanding of what a boat is yet teenager needs to have an understanding of boats go on the water in order to draw a picture of a boat so i think the meaning making for art projects needs to be things um, we need to have an understanding of can the child come up with an idea or do we need to give them a prompt, a picture? Um, going out to look at boats, going to a, a, a lake and actually riding on a boat. Now the child has an experience of the boat and can draw a picture of the boat. So thinking about having experiences that the child or the teenager can pull from in order to, have, to have the, do those activities with. Um, let's go skiing. Well, what is skiing? Do you, are you talking about water skiing or snow skiing? So having those experiences so they can make meaning so that we can say yes or no if I want to go, if I want to do, if I want to be part of that activity.
0: So that just made me think of a couple of examples for meaning making. Um, one, uh, okay, well, um, instead of describing them, I'll we'll just jump in and give the first one. So this is an example of how we could use meaning making to do floor time, or to um, we always say challenge the child up the developmental ladder in a playful, fun interaction. Mm-hmm. So this is gotta be five years now. <laughs> at least four years ago, um, we were on a on a vacation at a train store. My son loved model trains. He still does. Mm-hmm. Um, it's less of an overcompassing interest than it used to be, but it's still there. So, we were watching they they turned on the model train in the store for my son, so it's going round and round and I said, and I don't remember which it was, but um I said, "Oh, look, there's the Hudson, and it wasn't a Hudson, it was a Pacific and mm-hmm. my son said, "No, Pacific, and that's just the type of train, depending on the wheel configuration right. so." Right. Instead of a two, six, four, it was a two, four, six, or whatever. I, I already forget, but mm-hmm. I used to know. <laughs> so anyway, um, it became this funny thing that my son would bring up all the time. And it was amazing to me how he brought it up in such appropriate contexts in different situations. So... Um, you know, he reminisced on it at the time, like, "Ha, ha, mama thought it was a Hudson, but it was a Pacific. Ha, 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 Silly mama. So I, of course, you know, hammed it up like, oh, silly mama. I thought it was a Hudson. Oh my goodness. Silly mama. So then I can't remember, you know, offhand what it was, but many times and still to this day, if something happens and I mislabel something or we get something wrong, right away he says mama thought it was a Hudson it was a Pacific mm-hmm. like he mm-hmm. says that so he's taking that meaning from mama being silly messing up to oh she's doing it again with something else and mm-hmm. I just I love that and and then it makes me think of another example to ask you about because I bet there's parents out there saying well you know sometimes I have no clue what my kid is interested in and mm-hmm. so My husband is a huge gamer. So he's Warhammer, Dungeons and Dragons, all that stuff. I have no clue, I've never played any of it. I've never looked at any of it. I'm clueless about all of it completely. Mm -hmm. And he can't wait for the day till my son can play all of that with him. But he's not there yet. However, my son has started playing video games for the first time in this lockdown. And he's playing Rocket League and Sonic and Mario Kart and all these games. Mm-hmm. And I haven't gone anywhere near the TV. If I even watch them, I feel like I'm nauseous because it's moving so quickly. Right. So now he wants to play hangman with me. And he's saying something from something from Rocket League. And I have no clue what to write from Rocket League because I'm clueless about it. So I can imagine parents out there might say like, oh, my child's totally into Dungeons and Dragons, but I don't know anything about it. How do I make meaning with my child? And for me, that would be, more of a higher capacity challenge where I'm like, Sonic or Rocket League, I don't know anything from Rocket League. Hmm. What's, what's in Rocket League? Sorry. <laughs> um, rocket, what's in Rocket League? Oh, I don't know. You know, and just sort of do that playing clueless to the point where you're trying to find out, and in this case, I really am clueless, Um, trying to find out some more information and use that to get back and forth interactions Mm -hmm. and use that to do facilitate floor time. Like, how can Mm -hmm. we talk about this and get 100, 200, 300 back and forth interactions to really challenge our child to think and have to explain? Because if my son goes out into the world and at school says, that's not a Hudson, it's a Pacific, (laughs) ha ha ha, Nobody else knows what he's talking about. Like me and him know, and dad knows because he was there too, and he heard about it for the last five years, but nobody else knows. So I was wondering if you have some thoughts about that. First, I wanted to to,
1: to commend you on your um, your example about not knowing the Pacific and the Hudson and making it playful. Your affect made it. Um, more of a positive thing. So making mistakes then, now the meaning making around the mistake is, ah, I made a mistake. It's okay. And and that's going to stay with him for a long time. So way to go. Um, When it comes to all those video games, I'm so clueless. I have no idea also. Um, The one that, that a few of my kiddos are doing right now is Minecraft. It goes right over my head Uh, so i have no meaning making with it so i'm on the short side this time because i have no meaning making um and if i present it to the child with an affect like i don't know about minecraft let's go on to something else i'm not joining them i'm not following their lead i'm not challenging them at all i'm dismissing it and what's the meaning that they've made from that interaction Oh, Colette doesn't want to have anything to do with Minecraft. And I can't talk to her about it because that that was a negative affect. But if I can go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Minecraft? Okay, okay. Tell me more. So I've almost put a pause on it to help that kiddo with that gift of time, get to processing, because now I'm going to ask him a question. And we know that questions take more of that cognitive load. So I'm gonna pause everything around me and and bring us back to the safe spot of tell me more. I wanna know more about it. And then from there on, you have to fake that affect. Feel free to go over the top, Minecraft, wow, oh, that sounds cool. Yeah, yeah, tell me again, oh, that happened, really? Because now we're having a shared experience that we both find pleasurable, and we have circles going back and forth and back and forth, and we're challenging that child to reflect on their own thought processes, and maybe about our own As the neurotypical adult in the interaction, maybe they can start reflecting on me also. And then what comes after that is being able to reflect with a peer. So having that that support system built in that's positive and excited and happy just adds more and more to the child's development and gets them up that developmental ladder around an interest that they have.
0: And maybe we don't. Now that, that makes me think of um, another thing too, that as a parent, if I were a parent listening, that I would ask, um, what about the kid who will go on and on and on and tell you every detail you never wanted to know about Minecraft? So if I say something to my son, I don't even have to ask him. He comes upstairs and he says, oh mama, uh, I scored a goal in the orange net and the such and such car did this and then dada did this and blah, blah, blah. And he will talk for like a half an hour about all the exciting things. So I always try very much to be like, whoa, that's so cool. Wait, was that good or was that bad? He says, I got eliminated. I wanted to get eliminated. Wait a sec, isn't that bad if you get eliminated? No, um, blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, what does that mean if you get eliminated? Oh, you have to start over and pick a new car. Oh, that's why you like to get eliminated. Do Do you like to make a new car? Yeah, yeah. I want to be this orange car and blah 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 blah. So um he of course is developmentally a little bit younger, maybe an older teenager, you know, wouldn't wouldn't share with like the excitement of a kindergartner describing the new video game and and use that kind of affect that I did, like, wow, you got eliminated. Oh man. But um with an older child, like you said, you you could do the same kind of thing, like wait a second, I don't I don't get that. Like what what's so fun about Minecraft? Like, mm-hmm. what do you do? What's the point? Like, it, are you on a team? Or are you playing by yourself? Um, and, you know, just getting that conversation going and really being genuinely curious about it. Because right. I think they can sense that if you show genuine curiosity. Yeah, I totally agree. I,
1: and I, I'm thinking about your, your idea of your son with the car and the eliminating. You have made meaning of, being eliminated as being a negative thing. He is made mm. mean of being eliminated as oh Ooh, I get to have a new car. <laughs> so joining him on his affect, his affective response to being eliminated. Um and then as he gets older and he can reflect more, get to those higher capacities, then you can reflect with him. Ooh, you got eliminated? Isn't that a bad thing? But I'm thinking about the kiddos who, and I'll use Minecraft again because I don't know the names of many other of the (laughs) video games, but I'm going to use Minecraft again so we can have these wonderful interactions around Minecraft. This is great, but we can also expand that into other areas so we can Count, you know, we can add it to our math skills. Okay, if I go this fast. Uh, I can get this many points. If I go that fast, I can get that many points. But wait, I better go this fast because that one's more. So now we can get our math facts, and we can also do some of our language work with it. Oh, let's write a story about what happens at the end of Minecraft. We can um, change the ending of a Minecraft movie, if there's a Minecraft movie out there. We can take Minecraft characters and do a, I think they're called still shot movie, where you can Almost like claymation. So even if if your child is has such a narrow focus on something We can make meaning of other things for the child through their love of Minecraft or trains or Mickey or Whatever else they're interested in we can make meaning beyond just This meaning we can add meaning to other things also through their their interest
0: Absolutely, there's so many different ways. Like even with model trains, counting the wheels, counting the coach cars on the train, um, mm-hmm. figuring out you know addition, multiplication, and then you can mm-hmm. get into painting, fine motor skills once mm-hmm. they're they get to that stage. Modeling like the, the speed of the train and <laughs>
1: train um,
0: schedules. Yeah, um, yeah. Geography
1: by looking how long does the train take to get to. Montreal oh okay and what are we going to see on our way mon- to Montreal so the, uh, the idea of these narrow interests I know they're scary for parents I know that it's really hard oh he's going to talk about Minecraft again but thinking about how we can expand it to make meaning in other things through their interest um, and then we can have a broader conversation about our play together and our interactions.
0: And I just thought of something else too, how uh, I noticed this, especially in younger neurotypical children. Mm-hmm. So I would bring my son to the park to play. And I, I can't think of a, a specific example, but he would do something with something that was not the right way to play mm-hmm. with it. So that little kid in the park will say, no, that's not how you do it. Blah, 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 blah Right. <laughs> and little kids are like that, right. Once they they learn things, they want to tell others how to do things the right way. And that that can be difficult for our children who play differently. So in that case, maybe we want to um, expand <laughs> the, ch- the neurotypical child's um, mm-hmm. world where, well, hmm, maybe we can do this a different way. Um, let's see, what, what do you think he likes about doing it that way? Well, I wonder why. Um, but what about if our children aren't with us and they are with peers and they're on their special interest and they're doing something and, and peers are trying to say to them, no, that's not the right way. Um, and our, our children are maybe left you know, sort of frozen because they're not being included or their way isn't being respected.
1: We have to help kiddos make multiple meanings around those special interests so that they can be more flexible. But that flexibility comes with the higher capacities so we may not be able to provide an easy road for our kiddos if they're still at some of the lower capacities maybe one through five Um, when kiddos get to six seven and eight and nine it's it's a little bit easier for them to have that flexibility Um, so we we just have to um, pave the road i think for our kiddos at the lower capacities and and maybe do some um, role playing, and provide them with those experiences also. So anything that you can think of that somebody else might say about their interest, have that that role playing, and see if we can provide that that experience of how how can I make meaning of what I love when somebody else is telling me something different about what I'm finding so pleasurable, and it, it and I think it's going to I I don't want to sound like a broken record, but everything goes back to meaning making. If I have a meaning for what we're talking about, then I can be in this interaction, be comfortable, feel safe, feel regulated. But if someone's going to bring me something I have no experience with and just ask me to identify it or repeat the word or say, say please, say yes, say no. If I don't have a meaning for those things, then I, I'm i going to get in trouble because I don't know what I'm supposed to be saying in that in that instance. And, and that's where I usually get into trouble. Well, I get in trouble all the time, but I get into trouble with a lot of families because I ask them to not use please and thank yous at first, because there is really no meaning making at the lower capacities for please and thank you. Please and thank you. Manners are, by its own definition, something that you do with others when you're relating, comes to the higher capacities. The lower capacities, if we wait for them to say please or thank you, we're just basically cueing them. And they're reading the cue and thinking, oh, I got to do that thing again. But there's no real meaning making to it.
0: Yeah. And I think the key thing that you said there is the role playing, because, um, I think it might be, it, it might be the tendency for some parents to say, if you get into a situation like this, and this kid says this to you, then this is what you should say and blah, blah, blah. And that just sort of (laughs) right over their head. But if you actually, and, and I like how Dr. Greenspan, um, who originally created the DIR model and floor time, he always talked about doing these kinds of things in a safe, calm place with those that you're most comfortable with. So that's why we're doing floor time at home with parents who are in a comfortable time when we're in a good mood, we're not hungry, we're not tired, we're not distressed about something. And then you can have this role play where you're another kid who comes in, you could even be a stuffed animal like, hey, I don't like what you're doing. Or whatever if it's a bigger kid then you'll just be yourself uh well i'm going to pretend that i'm this person um and enacting it out really takes it one step away from reality as well so it's it's not as direct pressure on the child but then it's also practice for real life in Mm -hmm. a playful setting
1: right And, and i love how you brought up that that those emotions of when you're tired when you're sad when you're angry those have mean those are meanings that you have made so when someone has asked you how are you feeling today you have to have meaning making of the word oh i'm i'm pretty good today or i'm i'm sad today so again all roads lead back to meaning making and when we think about asking our kiddos how they're feeling or um, experiencing these emotions it comes back to those playful interactions that they've had at home with us where they've been able to safely play out anger, safely play out aggression, anger, sadness, frustration, happiness, excitement. And now we've
0: helped them assign a meaning to it. Definitely. Um, And I'll give one last example before we sign off. Um, My son watched a few months ago, now he hasn't watched it in a while, but he started watching that Daniel Tiger. And there's this play scene where the cat wants only... I can't even remember. I think it was bears or monkeys on the train. But Daniel brings a bear or something and she says, no, or a tiger. And he doesn't understand because he missed her saying it's going to be a monkey train. And she goes, Meow, meow. And my son does, hey, we're still doing that. So if he gets really angry, I'll say, Meow, meow. Or if he does something and and I'm getting frustrated to let him know that this is frustrating, I'll say, Meow, meow. And right away he laughs and he says, Katerina was angry at Daniel Tiger. Like he always references that. And I thought that was such a good cartoon that he saw because it really helps express. And then they break into song, like use your words, blah, blah, blah. Some song about they always using break your words. Into song. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, yeah. it was such a good demonstration for him, even though it wasn't real life. Like even if, if dad is grumpy and hasn't had his coffee yet and, and like grumbly or something, I'll say, Oh, dad has meow meow right now or something. He hasn't had his coffee yet <laughs> and, and, and it's just a fun anything. way. Yes, yeah. yes, yep. yes. So what
1: can we do for, for meaning making for families? How can we enhance our meaning making? And the first thing we can do is to treat everything with intent. And then we want to use that experience to make meaning by using your affect and your body language. So if we go back to your example, He said, meow, meow. You treated that with intent. You added the affect and the body language. Uh, You you came closer to the camera when you did it. And you went, meow, meow. So now (laughs) we have that meaning making of it. We joined in with the meaning making. Even if it didn't make sense at first, meow, meow. Why is he using meow, meow? Oh, I'm going to join it. And I'll I'll be able to figure it out. Um, And then we want to be in... Kids know when we're in it with them. They know when we're there. We can have these wonderful, rich, um, interactive interactions with a lot of affect to them and create meaning around the actions that our kiddos do.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much uh, for spending time today. Um, I hope that the listeners got something out of this. If you have any questions, comments, uh, concerns, feel free to look at affectautism.com. Search meaning making, and uh, the blog post will be up there with some links to other things that we discussed, and certainly links to the Thursday morning mini seminars that ICDL offers, and the Monday parent support online drop-in that both are free, and it's a wonderful resource for parents and a great place to find support from other parents.
1: Yeah. make connections. Well, thank you Colette.
0: Thank you. Have a great day everybody. Until next time, here's to affecting autism through play.